Hey everyone, it's Erica. I just wanted to drop a note here at the beginning and say, one, I'm sorry this is so late, but two, sorry for the audio quality for this episode. Yes, Simmerine, I know. <laughs> we had some trouble when we were starting the recording through our normal podcasting website and we had to record using Zoom and apparently Zoom defaults to using the microphone on your laptop and not the fancy podcasting microphone that you've gotten specifically for this purpose. Um, so that's why Katie's audio sounds fine, but my audio is really distant and I just wanted to apologize for that up front and give you a heads up in case uh, you're wondering why it gets terrible. But thanks again, everyone, for listening and I hope you enjoy the episode anyway. creepy little red buttons like flashing at me in the top <laughs> recording yeah I yeah, remember the first time I ever noticed someone was doing that and I was like I'm very uncomfortable I don't know how I, no one asked me this was um, non-consensual recording I need to ask you yeah I know well it was for class I'm sure my professors yeah. were just videotaping the class and didn't care about me because my screen was definitely off but yeah no dude I'm so munchy right now <laughs> Like it's literally such a situation right now. Oh. Super munchy, super munchy. I um the the wine the you know breakfast wine's helping a little bit because it's New Year's <laughs> and I'm allowed to do that because tomorrow I have to get in like incredible shape because I want to do a pull up this year. That's my New Year's resolution. I want to do a singular pull up, and as a person who can barely move their shoulders up and down when they're hanging, we're we're gonna have to do some like body composition changes. Yes. But last, last year I couldn't do a push-up and now I can do 10 push-ups. So I feel like I'm moving in the right direction. Yeah. Have you seen definitely. my legs? Look, look, see this? Uh, I've seen how beat up they look. Yeah. Yeah, dude, seriously. Like I'm getting the heck beat out of me. I'm like actively working on like getting in shape. No one ever told me getting in shape was so painful. But yeah, it sucks a little. It does. It's kind of the worst. I don't like it. <laughs> also, yeah. I'm like fascinated by how, like how lavender your hair looks. Like I want to take like a screenshot. Like my hair is like bright blue well yeah. actually my hair my hair is like off blue but your hair is like lavender i'm feeling the lavender the lavender looks good that's cool yeah so, well like you said it's because there's actual well honestly there isn't sunshine today it's incredibly overcast but we're actually recording in the daytime so hey, <laughs> natural light it's not helps. Late at night it's not late at night i like it so how was your new year uh nothing special other than i did participate in my family's tradition, which is every New Year's, we celebrate by baking bread in the shape of the year that it's about to be. When last week, when I was at my family's place for Christmas, we went ahead and baked our New Year's bread family-wise then because my brother was going to have to work and not be able to be there for New Year's. And we're all going to be the doctors. <laughs> well, we're all going to be going back next week anyway for uh, my dad's birthday. So we went ahead and did the family bread last week, but I was like, well, I need to do my own bread for actual New Year's. So I'm an adult. I can do my own <laughs> bread. So I, I baked a two and a one and it turned out edible. So it's all good. Dude, I'm so jealous. I would have loved, I mean, I did a form of bread last night. Um, a lot of it actually. Uh, I, did <laughs> I did liquid bread last night. I did not bake my own. So last year, just out of curiosity, was your bread like a big X for sadness? <laughs> like 2020 no because no. you don't you did we didn't know that until it was too late um, I don't know I watched death to 2020 on Netflix last night and like I <laughs> forgot that this I, you remember the Australian fires happened last I know year, right? yep 
and the Amazon fires. Yeah. Seems like decades ago, which like, and I feel like everyone's cautiously optimistic. It's like, hello, 2021. Is everything okay? Yeah. After like the the pandemic was going on for a bit and we kind of stopped hearing news from around the world. It was just all like COVID stuff. And then I was like, Hey, is Australia still on fire? Is Australia okay? Are you guys okay? Is everything okay, Australia? <laughs> yeah, like, like I, is the Amazon still on fire? Like, I don't, I don't know who's on fire now. I mean, I know this is like totally lazy, World. but like the way I support it is like occasionally I'll like find like a GoFundMe or like a Patreon, and I'm like, I'll give money because I don't actually remember about these things sometimes because I'm a very true American and if it doesn't happen inside of America I forget it exists which is sad and we should be better about that but um that's a long way of telling you that last night I was very excited to see 2020 go and while you were productive made real bread I uh, partook in liquid bread which is why I need breakfast wine because I made choices And it is, look, look at me checking my non-existent watch. I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. I've got a can, I've got a clock right there. It's skin 30. It's, it's, it's skin 30 AM. It's way too early to be up when you're hungover. It's, it's, so you make bread and what kind of bread? Are we talking like sourdough? Like you hear about people like that was the thing in 2020 millennials were like, like sourdough. No, I didn't. I used sourdough as a starter. I used yeast. Uh, it's, a bread. it's basically what is going to be driving the chemical reaction that makes your bread rise okay wait this is starting to sound like science and oh no comes. science i don't know if you know but my name is katie and i'm not a scientist but that's okay because my name is erica and i am a scientist and this, and this is, is southern science. science we're getting better at that like that was like a very natural like, yeah that was good I, I thought that i came up with that on the fly too that was good. Good catch. And I came up on the fly after having lots of liquid bread last night. So <laughs> feeling it. Yep. All right. So continue. Yes. I made leavened bread being the term for bread that has risen is not a flat bread. Is that like regular bread? It, yeah. Like basically what, bread, what, like... what we consider regular bread okay. um, is usually risen with yeast and or sourdough. So we're going to be talking about today is focused on yeast and its roles in both bread and beer. Because bread and beer are very similar things in their composition of you need a carb source, you put in the yeast that will digest those carbs and produce ethanol and carbon dioxide. And the bread uses the carbon dioxide and the beer focuses on the ethanol byproduct. But essentially, they're, they're pretty much the same thing, which is why Katie is calling beer liquid bread. Yeah, if you're on the Adkins diet, you can't. I mean, we all know that's a terrible diet to be on these days. It like talks your kidneys, but um, you can't have beer. And that was like the biggest thing for me when the Adkins diet was going through. I was like, oh, no, <laughs> absolutely not. Yeah, <laughs> beer is there's a lot of carbs, but that's, that's what the yeasties need. Well, you know, and you know, Bud, Bud Light's big thing is like, it's like water, sugar, hops, and yeast. Those are like the four, they're like, we're the purest of beers. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> maybe I could probably follow that recipe. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I mean, that's all, that's all it is. And we'll talk about some of the variations in beer, not to the extent that any, uh, any craft brewer would be able to tell you, but um, just the basics of beer and what you need to make it with the focus again on the yeast. 
So, like I said, the reason I wanted to do this episode was because of my family's tradition with baking bread. And as is definitely noted in the difference between how my bread came out and how my mom's bread came out last week, one of the big biggest differences was how much her bread rose in comparison to mine. Because you make the same like dough to start with, and then you put the dough in a warm place for an hour and you let it rise. Like that's the first step in the bread making process. And hers easily doubled in size, if not more. Mine got to maybe like 130% of its normal size, like not super big uh, because my yeast expired in 2018. So hey, that'll do it. <laughs> Using dead yeast. <laughs> so it actually really emphasized the importance of yeast in the bread making process, which is great because that's what I was going to be talking about today anyway. So. So you were like, hey, I did an experiment. Didn't even mean to. Totally happened. (laughs) Yeah. And there was enough yeast left alive to give enough of a fluffy bread. It was still good. It wasn't a flatbread. Not to say flatbread is bad. It just wasn't what I was aiming for. Yeah, flatbread's Um, not. I'm I'm here for that. I'm here for a flatbread situation. Yeah, that's delicious. So wait, wait. So wait. Oh my God. I just put some. So flatbreads like non don't have yeast? Correct. They are also, they're also called unleavened breads. Yeah. Ooh fancy because it, and they're a lot faster to make than normal bread because you don't oh, have to wait true. for the yeast to do their thing you just make the dough and then you cook it like you cook anything else that is a say a muffin or a cake or something that doesn't rise any other bread products that aren't leavened sweet okay yeah. super cool I mean I know a little bit about bread I've watched the great British baking show I know you have to like push it around put it in a drawer leave it alone let it explode <laughs> like I, I know that Yes. So the process yesterday was make the dough, put it in a slightly warm oven for an hour, let it sit, and then punch it back down, get a lot of the gases out of it, shape it into the numbers, let it rise for another hour, and then bake it for 25 minutes, which was maybe a little too long because mine ended up mine ended up kind of toasty. Um, <laughs> Nothing's wrong with toast. Yeah, Toasty bread is good. I like a good crunchy crust on my bread. And it was, at least it was a crunchy crust and the inside was still soft. I'm just, I, I'm a big fan of soft bread. I guess I'm a weenie that way. I want a crusty bread, old school, crusty bread. I want it to fall apart when I start touching it. Just <laughs> ship me some bread, Erica. Ship me your one. You and Danny don't need the one. Keep the two. I'll take the one. Come up and get it. Come, <laughs> Come get your get bread. Because that's definitely on my New Year's like health plan. It's like yeah, lots of bread, lots of bread, tons of bread. I'm on the bread diet. (laughs) Hey, if you make it yourself, it you know at least you know it doesn't have any preservatives or stuff like that in it, right? Yeah, oh, that's true. Yeah, there you go. I like that idea. You know, it's like healthy bread as opposed (laughs) to like the store bought bread where you're like, I've left you alone for like eight weeks and you're not green yet. What's in you? (laughs) Yeah. When I used to TA a biology lab when I was in my master's program, we did a unit on fungus and I brought up like some bread that had molded and then some bread that hadn't. And the bread that hadn't actually stayed in that lab for two years and never molded. And it was listed as like preservative free or no, I think it was listed as no artificial preservatives, but I was just like, I think there's something this bread isn't telling us because that's not natural. (laughs) It's like, it's like the McDonald's cheeseburger experiment when you're like, 
There's right. the mold. Why aren't you rotting? What is happening? I'm not, look, I love McDonald's cheeseburgers. I don't care if they're actually made of cardboard. They're delicious cardboard. <laughs> but there is that whole thing where you've seen that, where people like kept a McDonald's a cheeseburger alive for a very long time. I don't know if that's true or not, but I've seen the picture on YouTube. So yep. it obviously must be true because it's been on YouTube. <laughs> okay. So you made bread. I'm sorry. I get us way off topic with them. I like, we're on McDonald's now. I don't know how that <laughs> And I'm about to actually open me a beer so I can have some, so I can yeah. support the po- I can support the podcast. So we can look at it. Okay. So we have a live demonstration. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Hell yeah. So starting with bread, you know, and when I've got interested in like, what is the history of bread? And, um, cause I've heard some really interesting things about the history of bread and how it relates to the history of human civilization. So that's something we'll, we'll talk about. So bread is considered to be the most widely consumed food in the world, which is kind of a silly statement when you think of all the varieties of things that count as bread. Like what? Like, well, I don't know if that statistic was counting most carbohydrate sources like pasta. So bread, pasta is bread. Well, I mean, then if you consider pasta and any kind of flat bread, you know, any, any naan or stuff like that, any thing that's crackers, anything that is, you know, sliced bread as we think of it. So there's a, a lot of varieties of things that, uh, that bread comes as, but it's important for developing humanity. So, I mean, evolutionarily it's important because it is a very portable and compact source of carbs and yes. carbs are energy. So it's, it's also delicious. Point. Oh yes. Also bread is delicious. <laughs> Which is the more important part. So in kind of defining what is bread, it's a pretty wide definition technically. So I wanted to share a definition from Andreas Heiss, who is an archaeobotanist and bioarchaeologist at the Australian Academy. He is an archaeobotanist and bioarchaeologist. And both of those means that he looks at very old living things. Okay. So what this guy does is he actually specializes in old bread, ancient bread, thousands and thousands of year old evidence of bread. Oh, like the, oh, okay. Okay. Like, like not, not like the ancient grains, but like, ancient, no, okay. Like, ancient bread. Okay. Like people cooked this bread 10,000 years ago. What do we know about it? Kind of thing. Gotcha. Okay. And I would actually say that I like him already because some of his papers have the best titles. So I was going to be using stuff from a uh, encyclopedia called the archeology span of food. Um, so he wrote the bread section in that encyclopedia, but some of his papers that he's published, he has, so he had a, a 2017 paper called state of the tart. Oh then, my God. Like I'm Googling this to you. I'm Googling like ancient breads right now. Okay. State of the tart. That is brilliant. I love he, it. He had two 2019 papers, one called 50 shapes of grain and another oh, one called, my God. other one was called the horde of the rings. And then there was a 2020 paper called mashes to mashes, crust to crust. This man loves his job. Yes. So this guy gets all of the uh, ancient bread puns and it's amazing. So I'm using his definition of bread. So according to Andreas Heiss, quote, bread is a processed foodstuff made of cereal, flour, and water. And cereal just really means any grain. Okay. So optionally containing ingredients as diverse as salt, dairy products, blood, vegetable oils or oil-bearing seeds, fruits, legume flour, like lentils or peas, aromatic condiments, like caraway or cumin or coriander, and virtually any other substance, either liquid or apt for grinding, like acorns. Yeah, yeah. And then you got hung up on the blood, So so 
Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I really did. Um, I really did. Cause the rest of that, it's like, yeah, I'd eat that in bread. Like I've even had some people put like flowers in bread. I, I had, mm-hmm. look, I'm a millennial. My friends are millennials. Sourdough was a big thing for us during the quarantine. <laughs> okay. I had people ask me like, you want my dandelion bread? I was like, screw it. Yeah. Um, blood. Are we talking, yeah. is that like a, is that like a, like, like, are they just trying to find a funny word for like, they put meat in the bread? Or are we talking like, so, mm-hmm. oh, oh, blood bread. It's a thing with Sweden. It's bought, it's made with ram's blood. It's a very popular delicacy in Scandinavia. Oh, okay. Ram's wow. blood. Interesting. Ram's blood. Why I put blood in my bread and my ice cream. Yeah, we're done. I'm going ice to- cream. No, I'm coming, I'm, I'm coming back to the podcast. I, that was a dark place. I didn't need to be there. All right. Continue. Ram's blood. Why? Yeah, we think about the weird things American eat. And also, I have a thing for blood sausage. Like, blood sausage is what's up. So I don't know. Maybe blood biscuits are delicious. I don't know. I feel like like if I walked into a grocery store, though, and I'd be like, excuse me, where do you keep your Rams blood? Like, that's when people start, like, you know. wanting to see your driver's license and like your like last five years of mental health history in America. Like we're like, what do you want Ram's blood for? That's strange. All right. Continue. So, so we so have blood and bread. with our, our definition of bread. So bread, like I said, baseline is cereal, flour, and water, and then can have a whole list of other ingredients included. Um, and then this dough can be directly baked or dried, which would be a flatbread or fermented with either yeast or sourdough or both, which results in leavened bread. So this fermentation, still going off of some information from Andreas Heist, the fermentation serves several purposes. So it's not just that it makes fluffy bread and then that's good. Um, it's actually a kind of an initial digestion step. And um, so the yeast are actually doing a little bit of digestion that your body then won't have to do. For example, one of the things the, the fermentation process does is degrade phytic acid, which is also called inositol hexacosphosphate. The problem with it, why you want it to be degraded before it gets in your body is it actually will bind a lot of metal ions like zinc and iron and calcium and magnesium and prevent your body from absorbing them. So Wait, the ferment- I thought we liked those things. Right. You want those things in your body. So if you have the phytic acid, it will bind to those and make it where your body can't absorb them. So fermentation will get rid of that. And that's something that's found naturally in the grains. And so the, the yeast fermenting, digesting the, the grains ahead of time before you have to start getting them will get rid of those. Also lemon bread's healthier in some ways. Okay. And the baking process actually helps also do some of this pre-digestion. So baking not only gets you, you know, your crustiness and good smells and all that kind of stuff, but it will also break down some harmful components of the bread, such as say protease inhibitors, which is like things that will inhibit your digestive enzymes from working. So your digestive enzymes normally like they cleave the proteins that you eat and protease inhibitors stop those from doing their little cleaving of the proteins so that you can absorb them. So baking gets rid of, of those enzymes that would affect your ability to digest. So okay, super interesting. So Fermented things like bread and beer are both tastier and easier to digest and often more nutritious than just eating raw grains. And speaking about things that are found in bread that mm-hmm. may or may not be good for you, uh, I did want to have a brief note on gluten. So gluten is I love actually, gluten. <laughs> that term refers to a family of proteins that are found in grain, mostly in wheat, but in other grains as well. But the two main types of gluten are proteins that are called glutenin and gliadin. Now the gliadin is responsible for most of the bad side effects mm-hmm. of, the, of the two most common glutens that you eat. 
So the reason that they're actually important to bread and that maybe gluten-free bread often isn't as great is because the gluten proteins are actually important from helping the bread rise because they make this sticky glue-like, that's the name, uh, network whenever the flour mixes with water. So yeah. the protein make a network and, and that's what makes the dough elastic after you knead it. And that stretchy. Kind of right, and it is stretchy. And so it actually, as the yeast uh, releases carbon dioxide after digesting the carbs of the bread, the gluten is what is actually able to catch the carbon dioxide and then expand. And so that's how the bread is able to rise is because those elastic fibers are able to kind of trap the carbon dioxide and help the bread rise. So if you have a gluten-free bread, you're not going to be able to dense. get, yeah, it's going to be dense, really dense heavy and, bread. Yeah, exactly. And I saw the stat that about 1% of people actually have celiac disease and somewhere between 0.5 and 13% actually have a gluten sensitivity. But the current stat is that 30% of Americans try to avoid gluten. So I think that's a result of a marketing campaign. <laughs> Definitely a result of a marketing campaign. I'm going to tell you right now, back when I got really sick and they thought I might have celiac, like that was like, I have a lot of empathy for people with celiac because gluten is in everything that tastes good. Yeah. Now, yeah. to be fair, I think that you can eat sourdough breads um, because I wasn't allowed to eat any bread, but I was also on that elimination diet. They were trying to figure out what's wrong. Yeah. With me. So yeah. I couldn't so not grain. I couldn't have anything. I'm not sure, but I did see that there are like chemical ways to make um, gluten-free bread rise and not be so dense. And then an acidic uh, environment like using sourdough might be able to do that. But uh, I'm sure people who have to eat uh, gluten-free bread know a lot more about that than I do. Yeah, Um, you guys know it right in. Tell us about it because we definitely don't know. I am not knowledgeable. (laughs) Thankfully, I've never had cause to pursue a gluten-free diet. Mm. Okay. So we've got gluten in bread. Now right. is gluten is okay. Gluten's only in the stretchy breads. Yeast is in all breads though, right? Like you have to have no, except for leavened bread, except for unleavened bread. Look right. at me learning my breads. So flat breads don't do yes. that. But the, but the breads so, I'm thinking of the good, delicious, fluffy breads. Yes. Yeah, so like, fluffy breads. Yes. And so that's exactly like what I was going to talk about next. So obviously not all bread is leavened. There's flatbreads like non, like we mentioned a second ago. But I mean, obviously humans didn't start out eating leavened bread whenever we started eating bread Yes. Um, as, as a foodstuff, as a way to get the carbohydrate energy from grain. As a way to know? stay alive and continuously do the things. We do not yes. always eat leavened bread. So uh, some of the next information I wanted to say, I got from a cool article on slate.com. The author, Cody Cassidy, researches a lot of ancient food history. So it did have some good links to follow through with. Um, It's literally such an interesting thing to get into. It's like ancient food history. I want to know about like what old, old generations of people ate. That's really cool. Okay. It's really cool. I think one of his, I didn't write it down, but I think his, one of his books is called like who ate the first oyster or something like that. It's like, like literally ancient food history. I love that. Okay. So flatbreads were first made in the Middle East about 14,000 years ago. And that stat is actually a fairly recent finding. For a long time, they thought that the Egyptians were some of the first who create bread because they recorded it. Well, the Egyptians recorded everything in defense of the Egyptians. They're like someone like, you know, had a cough today. We're going to write that down. (laughs) Right. Just in case. Just in case. Yeah. Super appreciative. We would know nothing about anything if it wasn't for the Egyptians. Thanks, Egyptians. 
and ancient Chinese. And, and the ancient Chinese, too. that's true. Them too, yes. They wrote, they did a lot of the stuff early. Recorded everything. <laughs> yes. It only counts if you write it down, apparently. Yeah, it only um, matters, yep. But anyway, so flatbreads may be literally that old, 14,000 years old. Thought to be created by the Natufians, which were a semi-nomadic people living in that area. And it's thought that at the time, bread was just a celebratory food because it would take a lot of time to make. And if you're moving around, you don't have like, ovens to come back to and especially you didn't have the right type of ovens so for making bread uh, you need a domed oven and those didn't exist for you know another 5,000 years after bread existed mm -hmm. so as far as risen bread goes the thought is that about 9,000 years ago a woman invented risen bread of course it was a woman yes and <laughs> The reason that archaeologists feel comfortable saying that it was a woman who did this was that skeletons from that period show osteoarthritis that is characteristic of someone who grinds seeds as an occupation, and yes. more of those skeletons are female. So they're like, this was a chick. She was awesome. Right. So they're saying like, we don't know a lot about gender roles in those societies, but we can say that female skeletons tend to display this kind of damage that is consistent with this occupation. Which makes sense. I get that. Okay. So here's where we get into the combination of beer and bread. So the cheers. thought. Cheers. Cheers. I only have water. Um, I, I mean, I'm filling my beers in a coffee mug, so it's kind of breakfasty, you know? <laughs> Just want to point out, I'm in New Orleans. There is no actual, like, governed time to drink there, yeah. beer. So. There's no rules. Yes. And it's still yes. technically a holiday, so. It's definitely a holiday. Also, New Orleans doesn't actually start the new year till post-Mardi Gras, so. That's fair, yeah. yeah. So it's a thing. After I mean, Mardi Gras, just, whatever, fine. This just, this just starts king cake season. Yes, exactly. That's exactly what happened. Yeah. All right. So bread and beer, which is my favorite. So beer and bread making go hand in hand. And, and bread with beer. You can do both. It, it is gastronomically redundant but you can't yep. do both <laughs> i make beer bread and it is delicious it is the easiest type of bread to make you just dump beer into flour and mix it around and dump it in a pan and it makes makes bread and now you are a nine thousand year old natufian lady congratulations oh that seriously is, yes <laughs> yes so that's the theory that's the current theory on how risen bread was invented good okay, job that's amazing, that's amazing. So, i'm smart I'm smart. So that Slate.com article I was just mentioned, they were quoting the author of a book that's called The Rise of Yeast, colon, How the Sugar Fungus Shaped Civilization. The and sugar so fungus? I know. Well, it is. <laughs> and uh, so the author of that book is Nicholas P. Money, which sounds like a fake <laughs> baller name. <laughs> it's Nick, Nick P. Money. Like, that's, that's amazing. My name's MP Money. Yeah. MP anyway. Money, yo. Okay, that's awesome. I love that. You ever so just look at people with like certain names and you're like, you were destined for greatness? Yeah, yeah. Yep. Like, that's amazing. Yep, straight up. Um, so the theory is that accidentally getting the yeasty froth of beer onto flatbread dough would let the bread rise and let it get light and fluffy. And then if you don't say, oh no, my dough is ruined and you bake it anyway, you're like, oh man, this is really good. I should do this This is delicious. And so for a long time, that Someone actually Someone invent was... butter, this is great. 
And so the reason that they think that that is valid, not just because of archaeological evidence, is because for a long time, the recipe for bread making was described as you take beer and put it in your bread and you make, quote, a lighter kind of bread. And so that's written by Pliny the Elder, an author who is a source of a lot of ancient medical knowledge and ancient naturalist knowledge. Um, and he described bread making as using beer foam to break baked bread. So, cool. so beer can happen accidentally. And we'll talk about that in a bit. So beer, uh, you can get if you've just left your, say your bread dough or whatever out, any, any food out and it got yeasty and started to ferment on its own, you could get beer accidentally, but you probably wouldn't get the concentration of yeast needed to have risen bread accidentally. Mm -hmm. So the good thing about the yeast in beer foam is that you, yeast multiplies exponentially and has a very short generation time. So you can go from a hundred yeasts to 4 million yeasts in like two days. Um, yeah, uh, yeast replicates really fast. So the question is, what if you wanted to skip the intermediate beer step and just work straight with the yeast to get bread? Obviously, that's what we do these days. We don't combine the beer and bread making industries. They're separate. So we can work with the yeast directly. So I wanted to talk a little bit a about what opportunity. <laughs> beer and bread should be forever like intertwined. If I go get bread, guarantee I want a beer. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> So I wanted to talk a little bit about what we know about yeast and how it's used in these two industries. Yeast is a fungus, but it grows as individual cells or small clusters of cells instead of the long filamentous hyphae and mycelium that we talked about in the mushroom episode. Yes. Um, they can grow, like the, the species that usually grow as what we think as yeast can grow filaments to search for food, but it's not their normal life cycle. The good thing about yeast from a scientific standpoint is that they can reproduce either sexually or asexually, which means that they can share genetic information with another yeast, or they can just do what we call budding or schmooing, which I know is a silly word, but schmooing. this allows them to exist either as a haploid or a diploid, which means they either have one copy of their genetic information or multiple copies. I remember um, that. We talked about that before. Okay. Look at yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> so like I said, to, to reproduce generally, if they're doing the asexual reproduction, generally just the yeast will get really big and then it pinches off a section of itself in that process, like the, the pinched off bit before it separates completely is called a schmoo. And that's why the process is called schmooing. And I will say, uh, my, one of my classmates, Rainy, she made this really amazing cake for her boss's birthday one year. And it was a cake of a budding yeast. And it was just, it was very, very cool that she did a really good job on that. So it's a very characteristic shape. You know it when you see it. <laughs> you science people know it when you see it. I'd probably just be like, this is weird. I'm freaked out. Yeah. I think in like early cartoon days, there was a character called Shmoo. And that was like his, the shape. He's like a big old butt and a little skinny head. Like <laughs> a weird, weird snowman looking shape. Uh, anyway, I think that's why it's called a Shmoo because that was an old character. Anyway, I like it. so... There are 1,500 different species of yeast. They're incredibly diverse. And the one that's used in lab the most and is most available commercially for like bread and beer and stuff is called Saccharomyces cerevisiae. But there are other Saccharomyces yeast that, that are used in food production mm -hmm. as well. 
So there was a 2013 Scientific American article by Jennifer Fraser where she said yeast is actually the name for a lifestyle, not a related group of organisms. So it's actually more of a convergent evolution of these different species of fungus all adopting this fairly flexible lifestyle of existing as single cells or small colonies, being able to either reproduce haploid or diploid. So it's really adaptive and it's a, it's a pretty functional lifestyle as far as these little fungus goes. That article also mentioned that, quote, yeasts are naturally found floating in the air and on just about every surface on Earth. Yeast! Which Tiny is, yeast. It's uh, nice to think about sometimes, but as someone who just unfortunately lost multiple weeks of work due to yeast contamination in my cells at work. Uh, Down with the yeast. That statement doesn't make me happy. Destroy the yeast. Down with the yeast. No one likes yeast. It made me really sad. No, I forgive yeast for their I don't in, in beer and bread. No. No. Okay, okay. With the beer. Oh, that's the true. existence of beer and bread is more important than two weeks of lab work for me, but it was very upsetting. I'm your friend, solidarity. I say it's <laughs> but that ubiquity of yeast does explain how you can accidentally get beer and wine and things that are fermented, is because the yeast will land on things, start to digest any form of sugar that they come in contact with, basically, and then start to release ethanol and carbon dioxide. And since you did mention all of the um, pandemic bread making, I did want to say that it was reported that in March of this year, 20, or ah, in March of last year, 2020. God, yes, it is. <laughs> By the way, Happy New Year, everyone listening. Yes, Happy New Year. So, you know, I'm actively uh, Googling yeast because I find this very entertaining. It's oh, very, yeah, they're super cool. Like, I just want to see what they look like. All right, continue. They just look like little dots. You know, tiny guys. Okay. So, so I just actually say- reported. Yeah, it was reported that there was a 600% increase in yeast sales in March of this year compared to like the same period in 2019. And then in April, actually, they, we were still at a 400% increase over the previous year. <laughs> so we um, have nothing else to do. <laughs> yeah, basically. And that's not counting people who did sourdoughs because sourdoughs, you don't need yeast. Oh, oh that's God, just that, people who did yeast bread. That's impressive. And sourdough is an easier bread too, from my understanding. Yeah. I think it's easier to maintain. You don't have to like try and revive your yeast every time you go to make the bread and make sure you yeah. get all your water at the right temperature and all that kind of stuff. So speaking of like the fermentation process, what, what do the yeast actually do for your bread and your beer? There was a fairly like easy to understand scientifically um, editorial in the journal Microorganisms uh, in 2020 called The Role of Yeast in Fermentation Processes. Basically, fermentation as a process just means converting a carbohydrate into an alcohol or an acid. And yeast does this naturally to obtain energy by converting usually cereal sugars to so like carbs from grain and then turns them into ethanol and carbon dioxide. And literally that's the whole reaction. It's one glucose converts to two ethanol and two carbon dioxide. You don't need any oxygen. I don't think any yeast has to be anaerobic, but they can be anaerobic. They don't need oxygen to perform fermentation. Okay. And so basically they do the glycolysis, which is the first half of energy production that all cells do. Um, like even and, we, and we've talked about this. Okay. Okay. We yeah. have, but I think a lot of what we talked about was in our unpublished episode, our practice. Oh, episode. that's true. Oh, okay. Got you. So we are reviewing. I'm like, I remember this. I actually have some <laughs> science knowledge. I remember. Yeah. All right. Continue. So um, in 
our human cells, what we usually think about for energy production is you have the first half of energy production, which is called glycolysis, which is where you break down the sugar molecules and you produce a little bit of energy. But then you take the byproduct of the glycolysis and you give it to your mitochondria and your mitochondria will make a lot more energy. Okay. Now for, for fermentation, we're not really interested in that second half of what um, mitochondria do. Well, for yeast, what we're talking about is the end product of glycolysis, which is called pyruvate, gets converted into the carbon dioxide and acetaldehyde and then the acetaldehyde gets turned into ethanol and that's where the energy comes from. So the yeast are only doing this production of ethanol to make energy for themselves. They're not trying to make alcohol for anyone. So they're not trying to help anybody. They're just being selfish. To, to them, the ethanol and the carbon dioxide are both waste products in the process of generating energy. Lucky for us. Right. <laughs> And that's, that's the key of what we use yeast for. The carbon dioxide is for making bread rise commercially. And then the ethanol is for obviously creating alcohol. And the carbon dioxide is also like a benefit in fermented beverages if you want them to be, you know, foamy, carbonated mm. kind of. But that last article, they were also talking about how if you want to kind of tailor your, your yeast to your beer, you choose a yeast that makes maybe secondary metabolites that are produced during fermentation, that that can influence the aroma and the taste of beer. And I saw some places online that said actually the yeast is responsible for half of the flavor profile of your beer. It's not just what grains you use, what additives you use for what? flavoring after that. Your yeast can actually impart a lot of flavor to your beer. And we'll actually talk about that in a lot more detail when we talk about wine, because there are yeasts that are being genetically engineered to have metabolites that will impart flavors to wine. Um, but I think that's not done in as much detail for beer. What? But there is, there is a lot of selection you can do with your yeast strain that will influence the flavor. So, oh, that's cool. okay. For bread, you mostly just, you use the yeast briefly to make carbon dioxide and then you bake it and the yeast all die. But for beer, you kind of keep a constant yeast culture going and you are concerned with the health of your yeast and keeping them happy in a good spot. So depending on the type of beer you want to have, you have to pick a type of yeast that will be happy with that production process. So, so remember when you and I did that brewery tour at Great Raft? Yeah. So they were talking about some of the vats that they had are brewed at different temperatures. And because of that, they use top fermenting yeast versus bottom fermenting yeast. I'm going to Google that. Hold on. And most breweries will maintain like their own stocks of yeast and just use those yeasts because they know the flavor profile and parts. They know the temperatures it's happy at, all that kind of stuff. So okay. uh, top fermenting is physically where the yeast is floating in the vat. But generally, like you do top fermenting for ales, use the Saccharomyces cerevisiae for that. And that's when you ferment at a warmer temperature. For lagers, you want to generate those at a colder temperature. So you use bottom fermenting yeast, which is Saccharomyces pastorianus. And it's just a different yeast and it's happy with from living and produce, you know, eating sugar and producing carbon dioxide and ethanol at colder right. temperatures. But really any of these strains of yeast, they can eventually create too much alcohol that they'll kill themselves if they have they get drunk by to death. Drunk <laughs> to death. Well, they're not metabolizing the alcohol, but they, it will like maybe outcompete the water they need, or I, I'm not sure exactly what it kills them. Uh, a lot of things when you put in 
alcohol, like it affects the amount of water inside of the cell, like it will dehydrate the cells, which is the same reason you get a hangover, you know, your oh, cells yeah. are dehydrated because of exposure to the alcohol. I mean, yeah, um, I mean, that's true. Yeah. So the reason that beer kind of has a maximum ABV that's not super strong is that most yeast can only tolerate an alcohol concentration of like 10 to 15% before it starts dying off. And so if you want any higher than that, you can't use like the yeast to create it directly. You have to use a distilling process if you want a higher alcohol by volume percentage. Crazy. So. Okay, crazy. So I do recommend a publicly available review in the journal Beverages. Tell me, I'm already Googling yeast. What is it? Just as far as like the process of how yeast is good for brewing and the innovations that are being made in this field. There's a 2020 review in the journal Beverages that's called Designing New Yeasts for Craft Brewing, colon, When Natural Biodiversity Meets Biotechnology. And we can post links to these articles on our yeah. Facebook page okay, if we yeah. want, because so that's a um, lot to Google. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, these articles are, the ones I've been referencing are publicly available and they're not, not super technical. I, well, I say that as someone who's familiar with the subject matter. Let me but. look at it guys. And I'll <laughs> let you know if it's super technical or not. Okay. I will <laughs> give my personal review. But it's not terrible. So in that review, they talk about how like yeast is one of the biggest opportunities currently for innovation in brewing, because there's already a lot of diversity in the additives that people use. Like you can make craft beer with tomatoes or tobacco or coffee or chocolate or fruit. Yeah, you, you can. Know. I mean, you can craft beer with literally anything. I had a Thanksgiving craft beer not too long nice. ago. It's actually pretty cool. And that's just like the additives that you add after the fact for flavor. You can make it with a lot of different grains that you start with. So obviously barley and oats are like really common, but you can do it with corn and wheat, and potatoes and pumpkins and rice. Potato so bread. Can... I knew that was a thing. Potato bread's a thing. I didn't know potato beer was a thing. Well, yeah, I'm just saying if you can make right. bread out of it, I'm assuming you can make beer out of it. So it's like potato bread. Yeah. I guess yeah. you can make potato beer. God, I don't need yeah. to know things like that. But I bet pumpkin beer would be a nice seasonal, like, if it retains the pumpkin flavor, then that would get you your Thanksgiving beer, so. I love pumpkin beer. It's one of my favorites. Yay. Well, Have you I never had pumpkin beer? <gasps> okay, there's a whole, okay. I know you just started drinking recently, but there's a whole cult following for pumpkin flavored <laughs> beer. I have a couple of my favorites. Like I'm so basic with that. That's probably the most basic thing about me. Like I don't do pumpkin coffee. I don't do like autumn tasting things, but man, when that pumpkin beer rolls out, I'm like, yup, that's my whole fridge. <laughs> nice. It's delicious. And then, <laughs> and then obviously there are different varieties of hops that you can choose for your beer. Didn't know that. Yes. Didn't know Although that. Okay. to be fair, hops weren't around for the first several thousand years of beer's existence. So that is a fairly recent addition to the standard composition of beer. So as a fan of IPAs, I actively appreciate the hops edition. <laughs> And obviously, like you said, uh, different yeasts are good at dif metabolizing different sugars. So some of them just metabolize glucose. Some of them are more for sucrose or maltose or you know, different sugars that these plants, these carbohydrate sources have in them. Different yeast will be able to make better use of the sugars in those different plant sources. But there's actually, there's a whole list of genes that are related to, quote, brewing traits. For example, some of them may be able to adapt to being in a high sugar environment without losing a lot of water. 
So they'll be able to metabolize things longer and be a more long-lived yeast. Others, as far as flavor goes, for example, strains can be selected for their either ability or inability to produce this spicy clove flavored compound that is, it's something that the yeast does naturally because it's trying to detox some of the acids that are found in the barley. And some strains of the acid during that detoxification process, they will generate this clove smelling compound. And some other strains, they have a mutation in those enzymes that makes it where they don't produce that flavor. And so depending on whether you want a spicy German beer or you want a non-spicy beer, then uh, you choose a strain appropriately. So excuse me, first of all, everyone always wants a spicy German beer. And second of all, you are actively like making me want to go sit at breweries today. And for no other reason than to be like, I have a podcast. Would you like to hear about it? I know it was really hard yesterday. I was was doing all these notes and I'm like, man, I just want to go to Red River. I want to drink my nice dark Countess beer. (laughs) I want to go to Red River so bad. (laughs) I want to go to Oktoberfest with you one year and we can just walk around and tell people about beer. We can be like, here's beer rules. Also pretzels. Also, I can tell you how that's made Um, too. yeah. Yeah. I know they have yeah. really amazing giant pretzels at Red River. That is too. fascinating though. I honestly, I know this probably sounds silly, but it's like, as a person who doesn't actually think about beer and y'all, and you know, I love beer. I guess I just assumed all of the flavor was added after. Right. But it's not getting with it, which is uh-huh. really interesting. Like the idea that like, you know, the yeast can like change the flavor of my mm-hmm. beer. Yeah. Like that's and, crazy. I guess I, I really did. I guess I just assume, well, if you want coffee flavored beer, you brew it with coffee beans. Right, you just mix it with coffee. Yeah. A lot no. of that you do after, a lot of that you do do after the fact, like if you're adding a tomato flavor or a coffee flavor, a lot of those you will mix, you know, roast. That was on the list, tomatoes. Tomato, okay, I'm sorry. You see, this is the problem. You start talking to me and then I have to Google it. There's no do. way that's a real thing. Oh, I mean, I don't know. It was listed. No, in it, the- it came up. It came up. Oh, it's, oh, okay. It's a thing. That's a thing. I'm sorry. It's a thing. It was listed in that journal review that I mentioned. So what is happening? Uh, okay. They also, you can mix t- like tobacco in it, which I'm sure is not like great. Um, uh, <laughs> but yeah. And you get testicle beer, why? whale testicle beer. Why? I don't know. Why? I wish I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm assuming that's added in after the process. And go, why? <laughs> yeah. You can also make beer with human pee. I bet that doesn't have much to do with yeast though. So we're just going to continue on with our podcast. I'm sad. I know. Okay. This, this is. It's getting weird, man. It's getting no, strange. I was going to say, this is, I'm, I'm going to make it slightly weirder and then we'll move on. Uh-oh. If you were using the pee early in the fermentation process, you would probably want urine from diabetic people who can't, because diabetics who are in ketoacidosis have a lot of sugar in their urine and it would give more food for the yeast because they could actually probably digest that sugar because diabetics undergoing ketoacidosis that are not absorbing the sugar from their bloodstream into their cells that tends the sugar can get into the urine and be excreted. And so that's why your pee smells sweet if you're having a diabetic episode. And so just saying that diabetic urine may be more useful early in the brewing process. I don't know how to feel about this, whether you just came up with that very quickly or if this is something you've been thinking about for a while, because you, man, you had an answer for that real quick. Like, <laughs> no, that's all straight that. out of my butt, but. <laughs> okay. So that, that was a quick answer. 
Uh, to end this on a positive note, talking about weird things for beer, I also just Googled one of the coolest beer, and it's the Celeste Jewel Beer by Dogfish Head. And apparently they wanted to see what the galaxy tasted like, so they found meteorites, crushed them up, and made them into beer. Wow. That sounds expensive. It sounds like something <laughs> I would do. That straight up sounds like something I would do. Be like, meteorite beer. Tastes Continue. Continue. <laughs> okay. So, yes, obviously there's lots of different types of yeast that you can use in beer. There's not as much genetic engineering going into modification of yeast for beer as there is for wine. And that's something I'm super excited to talk about, all of the different genetic modifications to wine yeast to have them produce secondary metabolites that influence flavors. Like you can have them produce like a banana smelling compound and make your wine have banana aromatics in it or something. So that's really cool, but we'll talk about that later. Anyway. bringing it back circling back around bringing it back bringing it back not to what the modern you know new and exciting beer yeasts are up to but how did this all start so going back again to the the two fiends that we talked about earlier where they started making their bread the bread accidentally got enhanced by the beer so that means that they already had beer right so a lot of the first beer was probably accidental So people probably noticed that if they were making a mash of their grain, if they left it out too long, it would start to get all bubbly. And then if they ate it anyway, because times are rough, then it would taste okay and might get you a little little tipsy. So a lot of beer was probably prepared organically just by leaving stuff exposed to the air for a long time. But you could make a science out of that. You can make science out of that. (laughs) As long as you like, maybe not wrote it down, but like remembered (laughs) what had happened. So currently the oldest evidence of fermentation is 13,000 years ago. 13,000 year old residues of beer from the Natufians that we mentioned earlier. Um, And that is according to some Israeli researchers from 2018. And they published in the Journal of Archaeological Science colon reports and the papers by Lou et al. And they mentioned this theory that I've heard before that I think is really interesting. The theory that the transition to an agriculture-based human society that eventually led to the rise of civilization as we know it is based on the desire for more beer. Because I would buy into that. I would believe that. Because the their paper kind of supports that since those people that from which we have evidence of this old beer, we have like chemical evidence of fermentation. Those people were semi-nomadic foragers. And so they would only be able to come across grains that would be needed for fermenting beer, like occasionally, and they'd save it for special occasions, that kind of thing. But if you wanted to be able to do that regularly, you needed to have a steady supply of the grains. And so you needed to be able to start cultivating the grains. And that is the start of an agriculture-based society. This 2018 paper, they felt that they had really given some strong evidence in support of that theory. But that theory had been proposed back in the 1950s by Robert Braidwood from the University of Chicago. And he was working in the Fertile Crescent. And he would see had seen old beer residue, basically chemically, they've find residue of what was fermentation process. So the theory existed, but this 2018 paper found some, what they said was like the evidence of the first brewery because it was like an established, like there was lots of pots that had beer residue in them from 13,000 years old. So I think that's brilliant. And I completely buy into that idea that that's how society came to be because we decided <laughs> we wanted to get more beer. So there's a fun article on allthatsinteresting.com. It's called The History of Beer and Why Civilization as We Know It May Have Started Because of It, which was a long title. But um, 
<laughs> before that, people kind of thought that beer was a like a byproduct of making bread, like that people were farming to have more regular food and that bread was one of those staples and that if you left your bread out for too long, it would start to go bad and make beer, which those could go hand in hand, but this theory is called the beer before bread theory and theoretically has some archaeological support. But before that, the most common, like the well-known evidence of bread making is still, sorry, of beer making is still incredibly old. It was known from some chemical tests of ancient pottery. People knew that in what is today Iran, 7,000 years ago, people were brewing beer. 6,000 years ago in Mesopotamia, there's drawings on a Sumerian tablet of people drinking what people today think is beer. There's evidence of beer in China from 5,000 years ago. It's even mentioned in the Epic of Gilgamesh, which is like one of the oldest recorded stories. It's because so. happiness has no timeline, Erica. People want to be happy. Beer makes people happy. Or I think I read a quote that's like, ever since humans learned how to think, we've been trying to figure out how to stop. Like, Oh, getting deep on the first day of the year. As soon as as soon as consciousness is a thing, we go, I don't like that. It's the worst. It's <laughs> I'm the gonna worst. turn that off again. And it's so that's the why worst. that's why inventing beer is the first thing you do because you go, No thanks. Consciousness <gasps> sucks. <laughs> no, I don't like it. I'm not here for it. Nope. Yeah. And I, I very much feel that. So yeah, that's kind of the end of the story as far as the history of beer and bread and how yeast makes all of that happiness possible. I did want to say you probably know this because you have uh, more of a history in describing um, describing alcohol in a knowledgeable fashion than I hey. do. Um, <laughs> that's a kind way of Erica saying I drink more than her do, than she does, I'm which is just true. That's true. I'm not fighting with, it. <laughs> I'm saying you used to work with Tales of the Cocktail. You know something about actual alcohol flavors. Yep, and I also drink. So yeah, that too. Yeah, I also live in New Orleans, where that's kind of what we're known for is drinking. Yeah, <laughs> drinking in Mardi Gras. Yeah, which is which is just drinking in public. In, in it is with Popeyes. It's drinking in public with Popeyes. Yep. So the, the very last thing I wanted to say, just because I thought it was funny, is the definition of Brett flavor. Oh my God! Okay, I actually really like Brett flavored beers. So I had I to make sure in the that. Fridge. I have to make sure that I said this to Katie because her husband's name is Brett, but yes. Brett flavor is technically caused by what are determined spoilage yeasts, which are non-saccharomyces yeasts, and re responsible for flavors that are described as leather, manure, or horse sweat. I so, didn't know that actually, yes. I saw that quote and I was like, ah, we definitely need to, to throw that in there just for, <laughs> for Katie and Brett's sake. I actually don't like the flavor of Brett beers, but I drink them because it's my husband's name, so it's like it's a good time. Nice. <laughs> so yeah, that was kind of my overview of how the the miracle of yeast gives us the two happy products of the beer two happiest bread. things in the world: bread and beer. Duh, yep. <laughs> the yep. best things in the entire world. Yep. Like the people who invented that, like that wonderful woman who accidentally spilt, you know beer on her bread and was like wait I can make amazing things happen yeah <laughs> so that's awesome no that's actually super cool you know I always love a good podcast where we end up talking about alcohol <laughs> yeah it's always my absolute favorite thing for us to talk about it's like alcohol you know I say that although I really did like the color one too so apparently alcohol mm -hmm. and like crafts alcohol and crafts are my two favorite much better than wasp and murder much superior to wasp and murder nah. so 
and before we, you know, I did want to tell everybody again, once again, happy new year. And before happy we wrap up, we're always going to do our mental health minute. So um, if Erica doesn't mind, I'm going to go first. Go for it. So my big thing, and this happens every year, is I feel like I hear a lot of people at the beginning of the year placing a lot of expectations on themselves because, you know, we always have these new year's resolutions. And I would like to encourage everyone listening to view these resolutions more as guidelines and not as defining hard characteristics that you have to like embody in order to improve your life. Last year sucked, um, wasn't a fun year. And if you made it to 2021, you know what? Way to go, good for you. That can already be your thing. You know, it's like live a little bit happier than I was in 2020. So um, just remembering that, you know, New Year's resolutions are guidelines. These are not hard lines that you have to live up to. And you shouldn't be placing very high expectations on yourself because you're awesome just as you are. I'm going to finish my beer and my coffee mug because I do what I want because I'm an adult. (laughs) That's a really good way to start the year. You're right. A lot of people put pressure on themselves and you don't need to like devalue who you were a day ago before you started these resolutions. You know, you were good then too. You were worth it then too. So (laughs) that's awesome. So yeah, I don't want to, go into tons of detail just I've I've been having a really rough time lately things haven't been awesome so all I'm going to throw out there is that if you are also having a rough time and you also hate talking on the phone I wanted to say that the anti-suicide crisis text line you can text just text stay to 741741 and those are easy to remember because it's they're all on the same side of the keyboard it's just 741 all in the line so visually you can remember that and we'll post that on our website too. Yeah. We'll post that on Facebook and Instagram. That's really good, Erica. I, I, yeah. So they're up and running with the text. That's what my phone tells me. Nice. Oh, that's awesome. I love that. And way to go for you for asking for help. I feel like that's one of the biggest things is like not asking for help. Yep. We're all in this together. Let me give you snaps for that. Snaps <laughs> via Zoom. I don't know if y'all can hear. Wait, here we go. Wait, where's my, where's my speaker and my computer? Can you hear it better now? That's my snap. I don't is your know where... headphones not picking up? Is it not your headphones? Your microphone's down here. Ah, snaps everywhere. <laughs> okay, so like if you can't hear me, way to go snap. So we are definitely going to post that on our Facebook and Instagram. And if you do want to get in contact with us, please give us an email at southernsciencechicks at gmail.com. Or you can follow us on Instagram. Um, we're Southern Science. Southern Science Chicks. Southern Science Chicks. I should know that. This is my podcast too. I should know the actual <laughs> handles, but I just have them bookmarked on my site, which means yeah. I'm allowed to be lazy. Um, and Facebook, Southern Science Chicks. Um, hit yeah. us up. Again, we will respond. Southern Science was taken by a barbecue restaurants. So. Which is, you know, I mean, I, I get it. I get it. We're, <laughs> we're not quite barbecue restaurants. And uh, please remember to like and subscribe and let us know if you have any actual requests for a podcast moving forward. Otherwise I'm going to drag Erica into the deep dark world of alcohol. And that's what we're going to be doing for the next two months. And thanks again to my grandpa for our intro and outro music. Um, oh yeah. To, I've forgotten to say that a few times, but I still love it. Super country, super loving it. It's my favorite. I absolutely love it. All right. We will see y'all next time. Bye everybody. All right. Bye. Do you ever tell the friends we 